Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Equine Curiosities. My name's Jess and this week I wanted to step a little bit off the track from what we were speaking about last week and just talk about some things that I think are really important in the ways that we approach our training from a personal point of view as opposed to just a practical point of view. So I recorded this from my car and I apologise if there's a bit of background noise, but let's get into it. Response or the horse's behaviour, but rather our approach and our response to training. Uh, So I know I said that I was going to be reviewing and talking about the different quadrants of training and punishment, but something really alerted me to stepping off that track and yeah um, talking about our approach and our um, I guess emotional and mental uh, thoughts and beliefs and the way that we act and how it can impact training Um, and I guess the event that really Uh, convinced me that this should be a good idea is well not really an event but a comment that I saw on Facebook Uh, I recently joined a Facebook group uh, aimed at positive reinforcement all very well and good and I shared the link to my podcast and got not exactly nasty but a particularly I guess forceful reply saying we don't use blended techniques we still think it's cruelty etc etc um she was really asserting how i need to think about the group and the ethics of the group before posting something like this um which okay cool she's allowed to have your her opinion and whatnot i don't mind but it kind of sparked an interesting uh thought process for me because all of a sudden my immediate response wasn't to just clap back at her which I probably would have done in previous times before I started this journey of um, researching and evaluating different training methods Uh, you know if someone went up against me and what I believed and I didn't think they had a good point I'd probably just clap back and say that they're wrong but it, it really interested me about how, just how, I guess, passionate some people are about positive reinforcement, but also how passionate they are that negative reinforcement is wrong. Um, so that interested me, and I just, I just kind of left the comment and whatever. Um, and conversely to that, shortly after, a girl who is at the paddock that I used to board my horse at when I lived in Melbourne um, sent me a really kind message saying that she loved my podcast and thought it was real you know really good stuff and that honestly made me feel awesome and I think I'd spoken to her probably once or twice Uh, it's I think it's a very common thing that you know the horses at the barn or at the paddock that you belong to but you don't exactly know which human they belong to so, you know, I'd spoken to her a few times. I uh, knew, I knew obviously about her horses when she was talking about them. 
and she'd actually been using positive reinforcement with one of her rescue horses for about or she'd be using it for about four years and I think she's been using it for a couple of years since she got this rescue horse uh, don't quote me on that so uh, if the girl I was speaking to if you listen to this I'm sorry if I'm getting everything wrong but anyway eh. so she was talking to me about her horse and it just really opened up a conversation and it's interesting because speaking about our passions and sharing those passions are what can sometimes connect us to people that were right next to us the whole time you know um I don't sit around watching other people train their horses um I'm not like I'm just just don't do that I never did that I'd feed my horse and play with my horse or do whatever we were doing then go home I was very much one track minded so I never saw or noticed uh this girl training with her horse but this whole time she was right at the paddock um and I saw her around a lot and spoke to her albeit not much but this whole time she'd been so experienced with positive reinforcement and been using it for years and I didn't even realise. So that's just kind of a little bit of a tangent. That's not what I wanted to talk about today, but I guess the I guess it kind of is though, because the first thing I want to talk about is passion. And not just having it, but expressing it with others, with your horse, with anyone that you come across and I guess this doesn't just apply to training I guess these principles can really be applied to any task or anything that you um come across these days but let's say it's in reference to the training method we use you can choose which one it is you can choose what one you'd like to use so let's say it's in regards to that well passion is probably the number one thing that you want to be underpinning the way you approach training your horse. If you're not passionate about the way that you're training your horse, if you're not passionate about the things you're doing with your horse, then very quickly it becomes a chore. And the more something becomes a chore to you, the less you want to, you're going to want to do it, and then the less your horse is going to want to do it. Um, <clears throat> I can very much attest to to that with my uh, older mare that I was leasing at the time of being in this barn in Melbourne. Um, and whenever I'd go to saddle her up and ride her, I would just think it was such a dreadful task because uh, she was nearing on the on the end of retirement, but. Um, the way I'd been taught to ride her was not the way that she wanted to be ridden, basically. I didn't know this at the time because I wasn't about to just go in, well, approach this horse that I was part leasing. So it wasn't a typical free lease you'd see in Australia, or I'm not sure if it's similar to other countries, but typically you've got part leasing where you pay X amount a month and typically the owner and the leasee will both ride the horse. Uh, and you've also got free leases, which is where you're taking 
you, you take complete control and complete care of the horse and assume any cost with it, it just doesn't belong to you. So, for example, someone might have a horse that they've had for years, but they might be going through uh, finishing high school or they might be going through university and they want their horse to still be ridden and still be trained, but they don't have time to do that. So they may free lease their horse out. Uh, so I was part leasing this horse. Um, the rider who leased her prior to me was still heavily involved, which was a bit of a sticky situation. And so riding this horse was an absolute dreadful task because she did not want to move her feet. Um, she hated the way I was riding her and that made me hate riding and it was just th this feedback loop from hell, basically. And I had no passion for it. I thought, why am I paying money for... What I, what I thought at the time, honestly, brutally honest, was a deadbeat horse. Obviously, I know now that there was some underlying health reasons as to why she wasn't um, active. And obviously, we know now that she was ready for retirement. But no one had told me that because I didn't want to draw my own assumptions or draw my own conclusions about a horse that I had no idea about. I just met this horse and this horse wasn't mine to draw conclusions about and make decisions about. So that was probably the catalyst as to why I decided I was going to buy my, buy my own horse uh, because I figured the money I was pouring into this horse that was not enjoying her job, was not enjoying being ridden, I was not enjoying spending time with, um, could be poured into a horse that I can act, have an active role in their training. So when nobody's enjoying their job, when you're not passionate about something, everything crumbles around you. And it wasn't just the relationship I had with this horse, it was a relationship I had with the um, Lisa who assured me that this horse was fit for riding, assured me this horse had nothing wrong with her. Uh, it was the relationship I had with the prior Lisi because she would just jump on and ride as if nothing was hap was wrong. Uh, but she'd leased this horse for about four years, five years even. So I think, you know, th th there was a bit of difference there in that she had essentially been the entire... Um, the entire reason why this horse uh, responded to how she did because of the way that this rider had trained her. And so there was a bit of bitten, bitterness because the prior Lisi was not willing to, you know, ride with me or show me or anything um, how this horse worked. And what I was doing wasn't working. And yeah, it, it was just a very awful, muddy, grey situation on how I went from loving to hating horse riding in a matter of months. Um, and that was just because of passion, because I wasn't enjoying 
doing what I love, what I otherwise loved. And so the horse wasn't enjoying enjoying it. And then so no one was enjoying themselves and it created an awful situation um, that did, I guess, ultimately lead in growth. Like at the end of the day, it did provoke me to buy my own horse, Magic, who I absolutely adore and who is honestly, honestly like one of the best horses I've ever met, even though I, it could be argued that you would put him up against any other show horse and he's a bit of, he's a, bit of a diamond in the rough. Uh, I, I will admit he has very limited education. He has broken a saddle, or trained to saddle, sorry. Um, but yeah, but, but I love him, and I think, you know, that was, it was just very lucky that I was able to make a bad situation have a good outcome. So, moving now more on to um, not just passion for what you do, but passion for the things you believe in. So, this woman was, on Facebook was very hard and fast about the fact that I was training my horse in the worst way possible however um to then have another girl say that she loved my podcast and she believed in everything I was doing and such and such it's it comes down to what works for you and having belief in what you are doing and the fact that it works um you know, and that's not to say that brutally punishing your horse, albeit it may work at the end of the day, I wouldn't suggest that's something to be proud of, but I guess it's very hard to speak objectively on moral thing, like moral concepts like this, but, you know, if you're openly punishing a horse to the point where it's abuse and you're getting results, I don't really think you should be proud of that. I think you're a horrible person, really. Not to say that all negative punishment, whips, bits, all that is abuse, because I use a whip, I I use bits, I use um, pressure to an extent, as I mentioned in my last podcast, but yeah, um, so passion and yeah, belief in what you're doing and what you're doing is right, and I think it's the belief in what I'm doing and the belief that it's right is why I didn't feel the need to clap back towards this woman when she accused me of not understanding positive reinforcement in its entirety and not knowing what it's about like um I haven't been on this journey for positive about positive reinforcement for very long but um being someone who always (coughs) sorry about that who always needs to know the full picture i do believe to have be satisfied with my research to draw a conclusion on what I think positive reinforcement is um so to say I don't really know what it is was a bit funny to me but oh well and it's about just letting things slide you know I think especially in the horse world if you don't get used to blocking out a lot of this negative behavior and a lot of the negative thoughts that people um, so openly, I guess, uh, splay in front of everyone. 
Um, if, you don't, if you don't get used to dealing with all that, I think it is very difficult, difficult particularly in smaller equestrian and smaller horse communities. Um, and it's belief that really allows you to develop that thick skin and allows you to develop the ability to be resilient against that and not take everything to heart. Uh, and yeah, so um, I think they're, they're two very um, closely linked things or aspects that you need to consider or need to think about rather when approaching your training not just in the in the aspect of um actually physically approaching your training but when you are talking about it with others when you're telling others about it when you're you know afraid to share your progress on social media because you're afraid of what someone will say when you're afraid of training in the main arena because it's in full view of everyone else at your barn. You know, I think if you are passionate and have belief in what you're doing, then it, um, it, it gives you that resilience and it gives you that confidence. And so that kind of leads us to the main focus of what I wanted to speak about, which is confidence and there are a lot of contributing factors to what makes you confident. There are a lot of things that can cause you to feel confident or unconfident about your training and about how you approach things. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, I think that's what confidence is, is passion and belief, but it's also knowing that what you're doing is working and knowing that what you're doing is being done correctly. Obviously, though there's no specific way to train, it does help to have an idea of what you're trying to accomplish and having clarity on that. So if you're beginning positive reinforcement, ensuring that you understand how you're going to approach that and what that looks like to you, and if you're using pressure, understanding the difference between using pressure on the reins versus pulling on the reins. And, you know, there's a lot of practical, there's a practical side to um, understanding and being confident in your abilities. But there's also the clarity side of it. And I think... Sometimes when we walk away from a training session and we don't feel confident with what we've done, it's not necessarily because we've done things the wrong way, but sometimes it can be through lack of clarity. If you aren't going in there with a plan and you're kind of free-forming or free-shaping, which I don't have any problems with, um, there are many times where I'll end up in an impromptu training session, but I always kind of have... Um, I kind of imagine tra a training plan as kind of an essay. I have three main points or three or four things that I know I'm trying to work on and then you have other bits of information that form other ideas and support what you're trying to work on. So at the moment, for example, um, I'm working on getting magic to 
target his hips and also pick up his feet. So they're two very different things. They're different in, um, you know, they're polar opposites, really. Uh, I would very much like to see him move his hips and pick up his feet at the same time. I think it might be hilarious, but... um, you know, so they're two things that I work on, and if those things don't work or something's not going right, I always kind of have a plan C or a plan D. And even in training sessions where I don't have a specific plan, I then I then do what's called um, picking up from my toolbox. So thinking about things that your horse already knows and taking time to you know practice those things magic's really confident with targeting and hand targeting he actually got such a good handle on it was not funny I didn't even I wasn't even trying but you know because he was so good at targeting hand targeting became so much easier for him and so even if things aren't going well or I'm not getting much success with the the things that we're doing, like he's not he's having a bit of a grumpy day with his feet, then I'll just go back to targeting so, oh you know if you think about a toolbox and you think about the different tools you've got in it, every time you learn a new skill, you're adding a new tool to your toolbox and so even if you're not going in with a plan specifically, even if you're not going in saying, I want to do this, I want to do that, I'm going to teach my horse to uh, be, to self-halter. And even if you're not walking in, you know, with a plan of, oh, I'm going to teach my horse to self-halter, you've got structured activities that you can do. You've got structured activities that you can do with targeting. You've got structured activities you can do with moving around, backing up, coming forward, lateral movements. So once you've got these things that your horse already knows, if it comes to an impromptu training session, you've got things that you can do. And even though it's not having a specific plan, you've still got structure and you've still got clarity. Therefore, you're more likely to succeed in your training session. Therefore, you're more likely to feel confident about your abilities. So even if you're not the most experienced trainer, even if you don't have qualifications, even if you don't have years of experience with horses, if you have clarity and I guess a sense of organisation almost over the way that you conduct your training sessions, you're more likely to feel success and you're more likely to feel confidence. And so that's why confidence isn't strictly based or strictly linked to being experienced a lot of people say that the when we're talking about riding levels a lot of people say that confident beginner is a level above beginner well you can have someone who is super confident in their ability who's super confident uh, as a rider but they might not like they might not pragmatically or practically have the skills. They might only be able to walk and trot. They might not be able to walk, trot and canter. But they might feel confident in their walk and trot. So does that make them a beginner or a confident beginner? And that's why I think there's a bit of a grey line. However, it does 
uh, bring light to the fact that you don't need to be experienced to feel confident. You don't need to be experienced to feel passion. You don't need to be experienced to have belief in what you're doing. As long as you know what you're doing from a logistical, pragmatic, practical point of view, you've done the research, you've looked into it, and you understand that you're undertaking an effective training method, you're not just putting the horse through undue stress or um, pain or pressure, you know, you actually know what you're doing to an extent, you don't have like I said, you don't have to be experienced, but as long as you have an idea on what you're doing, um, as long as you know that what you're doing has a plan, as long as what you're doing is creating success for you and your horse, there are all things that you can do to feel confident. And when we approach our training with confidence is when we're most likely to succeed. Success and confidence are very linked together. It doesn't mean being arrogant about yourself. It doesn't mean being uh, self-entitled or anything about your abilities. It means understanding that I'm doing the right thing. So when we get back to this, the very first point I made about the comment on Facebook, because I know that what I'm doing is creating change in my horse. What I'm doing is not harming my horse. It's not making him feel undue pressure. It's not making him feel stressed. Because I know all of this, because I have belief in my methods, because I have looked into and researched how positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, how those two can work together, because I've developed tools to put into my toolkit to create uh, structured training sessions even when they're impromptu because I've done all these things I've taken the steps I've followed the I guess proverbial protocol I can feel confident what I'm doing and I can develop that thick skin that we so need as I mentioned in the equestrian world and that particularly in the positive reinforcement world if you're not a positive reinforcement purist there are so many people who will scrutinize you for that and uh, I just think that is because of a lack of research, almost. Um, I think it's a very, um, I guess, personal belief that we don't like putting pressure on others, therefore our horse doesn't like it. And, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why people are positive reinforcement purists, and that's fine. I don't disagree with that. I think there's a lot of good reasons as to why you might want to be a positive reinforcement purist and um, particularly practice at liberty things uh, in, in a soul sense. I, I understand all of that, but uh, I also think that as for my beliefs and for my horse, uh, a positive, purist positive reinforcement purist approach doesn't, um, doesn't work effectively and hasn't had any success come out of it. Uh, it but particularly when working on bigger things such as rain queuing and such as moving off and you know, targeting, moving around on the ground and all of that stuff is, is fine for, for Magic. He does that very well. And he's even getting better at walking at Liberty. But 
uh, in, when it comes to actually jumping on his back and things that you would associate with getting in the saddle, you know, things like lunging and whatever, I, ha I do have to use static pressure because that's just how he responds and that's nothing to do with um, the fact that you need to use pressure with your horse or whatever, but that was how he's trained and because he is only a four-year-old, uh, I don't want to disturb his education too much. I just want to get him to a point where he himself is confident because that's another thing is when we're not, when we're not able to mirror this behaviour to our horses, our horses aren't going to have any clue on what's going on and they're going to feel the exact same way that you feel. So I want to get Magic to a point where he feels uh, how I feel, you know, he feels that he can do a good job, that he knows his job, that he's willing to do his job. And when I've got him to that point, I can reassess how I train and I can reassess the um, steps I'm taking in my training. But until then, you know, that's the approach I'm taking. And yeah, so I think the last point I really want to talk on, um, as I'm now sitting in the parking lot waiting to finish this podcast so I can do my business anyway. The last point I want to talk about is the need to not justify yourself. And it's the last, I guess, foundation brick in building confidence is getting to a point where you don't need to feel like you have to justify your beliefs. Um, I think there's a difference between explaining and talking and sharing your beliefs and justifying them. And obviously, uh, with everything, it's the difference between writing an essay and writing a, um, a debate speech, for example. In, in the essay, you're explaining, you're talking about, you're discussing a point of interest or a statement, in a debating speech you are justifying and giving evidence and defending almost your, um, your point of contention. So the difference between uh, how we react in those senses. And I feel like to be confident is to get to a point where you feel like you don't need to justify yourself, where you can explain and talk about and discuss your beliefs, your training methods, the way you approach things without feeling the need to defend yourself. Um, and I think all of this, all of these points and all of these things can be uh, facilitated by understanding that you are on your own journey. You are on your own track. You and your horse are so unique and so different that there is no one else that can possibly compare to the two. And so that is why not, not one training method can always be applied to every single horse. There are training methods which work for most horses. There, are tra there, there is anything, it's just like a saddle pad. You know, you can use, an all, you can use a full size saddle pad on heaps of different horses. Um, but at the end of the day, there's going to be a brand and a size that fits you and your horse the best. And I encourage everyone, absolutely encourage everyone to 
I guess almost take a step of faith and kind of step outside the box and find what works for you. Um, Because there's always going to be things that work well. There's always going to be things that work good. But there's also going to be things that work great and work better above any other aspect or any other method. Um, You know, like, like I said, there is... There can be a one-size-fits-all approach, and for 70, 80, 90% of horses, that might work. But what happens if your horse is in that small percentage that's not covered? Well, I encourage you to take that step of faith and try a different type of training. Try positive reinforcement. Try only using static pressure. Try whatever you want, really, in an attempt to find what works best and find what feels good for you and your horse and at the end of the day um, when you find that is when you can really start to flourish and that's another thing that I guess isn't as important because once you establish confidence and once you establish belief in yourself and passion you're no doubt going to flourish. Um, Success is only millimetres away when you understand that you and your horse are doing things the way you're doing them because that's what works well for you. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. Uh, I think in so many uh, aspects, particularly, well, not aspects, but in so many um, social circles and so many different kinds of barns and paddocks and clubs and whatever, particularly English riding, there always seems to be a one-track mind and a one-way to do things. And that can sometimes hinder your horse so much it's not funny. As I mentioned, uh, I think last week or the week before, maybe both of those weeks, with the girl who uh, was forcefully trying to get Magic to back up and it, it taught him to slam on the brakes and I wasn't able to get him to move or anything and it quite fr- it frightened him quite a quite a lot um you know she was of, of the belief that there is a, a one track way of doing things and if your horse is x we must do y if your horse acts like this we must do that and it, it's not as it's not as black and white as that there's always a gray zone um So, yeah, I really encourage you to take that step outside the box and think about and reflect upon your own training methods, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and finding out really how you and your horse can succeed, how you can feel confident in what you're doing so that you have passion, you have belief, you can talk to someone about what you're doing without feeling the need to defend or justify yourself. And at the end of the day, so you can flourish. Um, and I think, I think that pretty much covers it off. I know I got very kind of deep and meaningful. I might have gone around circles a bit, but yeah, as I said, I was doing, doing this in the car and I just had this idea that I had to, had to really speak about um, before I launched into, you know, the practical side of how we're going to, of talking about training and punishment and reinforcement and stuff, um, I feel like I wasn't, you know, really able to um, speak about that without first addressing this point. So 
Thank you all for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow me on my socials, which you will find in the show notes. Um, In the next few weeks, I'm hoping I can get a website up so that all this information can be um, put up there. And I'm hopefully going to try and do some transcripts. So if you're not able to listen to the podcast, you can at least read it. Um, But thank you all for listening. And I will catch you next week in the next episode where I promise this time we're going to start talking about uh, the first quadrant of training and reinforcement and punishment and what that looks like to me and my experiences with that. So until then, uh, bye for now. Recording your own podcast is super easy, especially when you have an app like Anchor on your side. All I have to do is open up the app, record my voice on it, add some details and click publish. Not only does it publish it on the Anchor app, it also takes it and sends it out to all my favourite platforms, such as Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even some I haven't even heard of. Check it out now on your app store or go to the website anchor.fm and soon you could be creating podcasts just like me.